All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksters? What the fuck sticks? How about that one? How about it? Welcome. I'm Mark Marin. This is WTF, my podcast. Thank you for being here. I just drove back from Phoenix where I did uh, two shows on Saturday night at Stand Up Live and they were spectacular. Sold both shows out. Uh, Andy Steinberg opened. Uh, Ryan Singer featured. I did the nice uh, big hour 15, hour 20 uh, close with the new stuff and it was great. It was great. I drove there. I, I mentioned that. I just drove back because I'm punchy because I wanted to drive. Why didn't I fly? Because I wanted to have the meditative experience of driving five hours and a half to Phoenix, three or four of those through the desert where it's just you and the horizon. My buddy Singer's there. We're listening to Beatles music. We're listening to a lot of different kinds of music. Uh, we're talking and we're just having that. You kind of zone in to the drive and things just get, it just got they, all the stuff that you carry with you kind of dissipates into the, uh, the horizon line of the desert. It was great. It was great. Let me get, I want to tell you this. So this is uh, exciting and important. I have Alan Alda on the show today. That's exciting and important. And also uh, you can now get my special more later as a digital download. A lot of you couldn't watch it or didn't watch it or couldn't figure out how to watch it. You can get it now. More later is available exclusively at WTFpod.com until September 1st for $7.99. So, like, get that thing now before the price goes up. You can go to WTFpod.com, and there's a link on the homepage, as well as in the merch section. You can just own it. Own more later. This is how we're doing it now. Uh, I'm very proud of that special, and I, I know a lot of you didn't see it. So, here's your shot. More later is now available. So, what's going on? Yeah, I made the big drive to Phoenix, and, I, you know, I had some I kind of uh, emotional. It's emotional, man. I, some of you know a little bit about me. Some of you know more than others. But Phoenix is a relatively loaded bit of geographical for me. Uh, my first wife was from Phoenix. My uh, former in-laws live in Phoenix. My former sister-in-law lives in Phoenix. And it's uh, it's it's a troubling thing to me that I have not... I'm yet to make that amends. I just can't seem to pull it together. I you know, After a certain point... Uh, if it uh, may harm myself or others, or why am I doing it? Stuff, water under the bridge. She's happy. They, they're okay. We're all good. But nonetheless, I've gone there a lot. My brother lives there and his wife and kids and his ex-wife and their kids. And, you know, it's just, it's all loaded up. Phoenix is all loaded up. And I drove out there. And um, what I didn't expect was, uh, you know, an old friend of mine, my best friend in high school, a guy named Dave, was a guitar player. Dave Bishop, his pop owned a stereo place in uh, Albuquerque. We were best friends in high school, and he passed away many years ago. Many years ago. And he has a little brother who I knew as well, a couple years younger than me, not much younger, named Roger. And, and I had not seen Roger in 30 fucking years. And, uh, and Rog came to the show with this other kid who went to high school with me, but was Roger's age, a couple years younger. But I used to drive them to school. I used to see them all the time. And I hadn't seen Roger in 30 years. And he came to the show. And after the show, we hung out. And it was like, you know, I it was like almost crying. It was just like, I couldn't believe that you don't see someone that long. And 
so much has happened in each of our lives, but the the essence of of the guy is there, and I'm sure my essence is there, and the absence of this guy that was his brother and, and my best friend, you know, is you know becomes living in between us, and uh, it was really fucking touching. And yeah, sometimes I forget you just get consumed with life, and you get consumed with the pace of what you're doing and running and doing whatever it is, and then you just have this moment where you're like, holy shit. So much emotions, so much past, so much you know grief that was unresolved, and it's just like in this moment you see the person. I'm like, God damn it, man! It's great to see you. And he had he gave me a, a couple of pictures that he had of uh, of me and Dave Polaroids. And I hadn't looked at him, you know, from from the high school. And his mom was in one. She's passed, and I knew his dad, and he's gone. And wow, man, it was just fucking great. And you forget that that's an amazing part of life is that, you know, to try to maintain these relationships or at least get up to speed with people that had a place in your life at some other time. If there's no bad blood there, why not connect? And it was just powerful. I, I you know, I, I, I it took like an hour or two to really kind of process and feel what, what came up. Just thinking about Dave, thinking about how funny he was, thinking about how great a guitar player he was and thinking about like all that life I missed and all it, it was just it was a beautiful thing all right it's a beautiful thing and I saw my brother and he's doing okay but uh I gotta remember man you know life whatever life is made of part of it is that where'd you come from who were your people are they still around do you have unresolved stuff is there some way to access those feelings again it was just great hanging out with roger and thinking about dave and talking about dave it was uh it's heavy man but it was beautiful i'll tell you there are some liabilities folks there are some liabilities to um to technology and, I, and i'll tell you uh i'll tell you one of them uh, ryan and i were uh we're driving back um and we're driving back from Phoenix and we're listening to Apple Music through my phone and through the Bluetooth in the car. We start talking about Pet Sounds and, and Sgt. Pepper and I was like, when was the last time you listened to Sgt. Pepper? And we decided it had been a while. So we put on Sgt. Pepper and I'm ecstatic. I just get overwhelmed with excitement and at some point I go, there's no way Pet Sounds is better than this. I don't care who did what first. No way. Now, I got nothing in Pet Sounds. Not a huge Beach Boys guy, but I appreciate it, and I understand the genius of it. But Sergeant Pepper, come on. So now we're on a roll, and we're like, let's do Abbey Road. Specifically, let's do Abbey Road Part 2, you know, Side 2, because that's the medley. That's, you know, you never give your money into one sweet dream, pick up the bags, get in. Like, it's just like that whole run of Side 2 of Abbey Road is fucking astounding now i don't need to pitch the beatles you know what i'm talking about so here's what happens because we're driving through the desert we're fucking going man we're going we went you know we got into you never give me your money all the way through that we're in sun king we're singing along we're in mean mr mustard we're fucking in it you know we're we're singing along to mean mr mustard then the end of mean mr mustard comes out and we're about ready to launch into polythene pam you know bam bam and right when we're both about to launch in we lose the signal. It drops out. We're hanging there at the end of Mean Mr. Mustard, unable to enter Polythene Pam to get closure, to get resolution, to get the endorphins that come with that song. Unable to do it. It was so, so digital blue ball-y. 
so horrible. It's a, you know, it is not a big problem, but man, we were in it. We were in it, and then we were fucking ripped out by poor coverage in the desert. Left hanging between me and Mr. Mustard and Polythene Pam. It was brutal. It took us a little while to get back to it. We had to shut down the music entirely and just deal with the fucking sadness of being just halted at such a decisive moment. So Alan Alda, I had this conversation with Alan Alda in a hotel room in New York City, and I just, um, I was talking to him about talking to Louie about casting him in Horace and Pete and how that happened. And uh, and then, of course, you know how I work. I uh, turn the mics on in the middle of something. We kind of enter, me and Alan enter talking here about Horace and Pete and about, uh, you know, Louis casting and how that worked and whatnot. So this is me and Alan Alda talking about a lot of things. He's a very talkative guy, very thoughtful guy, and uh, one of the great actors and a great character. Uh, so this is me and Alan Alda. That's the weird thing about television is sort of imprints people. You know, you're on there long enough. Like, you know, my, yeah. my mother, everybody, everybody watched MASH. Yeah. So, but but the, the everybody plus your mother. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I was I I, I started to say something that I realized I didn't want to uh, to sort of make it seem like uh, like you know, your mother liked me more than you do. Exactly. Well, yeah. I was a, I was sort of a kid, you know, at that time. I'm 52, but my you know there was. Oh, you're young enough to be my kid, right? Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. No, I have kids older than you. You do? Yeah. How old? Are I'm you? 80. I'm. Uh, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. No, no. That well, you'd 80. be 80 for a few days. You'll be believe it. <laughs> You look great, though. And you'll watch you on Horace and Pete. You, didn't, you know, yeah. you, you're playing 60. No, I, I'm, I, I think I don't look as old as I do in Horace and Pete, when I, except sometimes when I walk down the street and they take my picture and put it on social media. Oh, do they? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. right. And, and I, I look about 89. Yeah, yeah. Those are, those so, so I didn't. So the thing is, you have to make, you have to play a character using what I would think of as spare parts of yourself. Mm-hmm. You got to, you can't. I mean, if you're going to be semi-believable in it, 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 it has to come from some authentic place right. in you. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, and we all have a lot of different people in us, and the job of an actor is to find those parts of yourself that match up with the character as well as you can in, in, intuit it. And that, oh, that's, how, that's how you break it down. Because they're very interesting. I, you know, I talk to actors sometimes, not a, not a ton, but uh, you know, to talk about how they, you know, what is the work of an actor? Yeah, it's hard to say. I, mean, I know, right? I, I, I make up. I a, like what you just said, though. Well, well that's, that's the way I, I imagine I'm, I'm working because I work in a different way every time. I sort of invent a new method every time I do it. Well, when Louis, when you got that script, when he yeah. sent it to your agent, when, when you looked at it, what was your first thought? I thought this is beautifully written. Yeah. And I'd really like to do it. Yeah. And the next thought, which I didn't divulge to Louis, yeah. was. How the hell am I going to do that? <laughs> <laughs> you got to find the monster inside of you. But I had, uh, no, it's not that, because he may come out as a monster, but you don't go looking for a monster. Right. You find out why he's right. Right. Oh, interesting. And why he, not only not only do you have to know what he wants, you have uh-huh. to know that he deserves to get what he wants. Interesting. So you have to f- you decide gotta, that. You got you to... Want you have to have the same urges and desires and and the same uh, avoidance mechanisms and all things things like that. Right. It, it's you. Nobody who's really a creep. Right. Th- thinks that he or she is. Right. 
You know, you, we, we do these things because it's the only way to protect ourselves against what's coming at us. Which is ultimately death and whatever we manufacture. As yeah, that's what I love of. about Louis' writing is that yeah. he's, he can be funny at the same time that he realizes we're all going to die. Yeah, well, that's the trick. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, then you got everything. Right. Then the two masks, the two Greek masks come together. That's right. And, and yeah. that's, that's, that's the, for me, the best kind of stagecraft because it's, it's what life is really like. Life is fun yep. and tragic. Yeah. Yeah, and there's no avoiding it. You can't. You can't. You can. You can avoid the fun right. if you're really careful. <laughs> <laughs> and what was it like working with him as a director? I mean, because it sounded to me and talking to him that, you know, you guys were kind of you know meeting at his house and, and doing read. Yeah, you know, and- it's funny. I I said to myself, I have confidence that I can do this, although I don't know at the moment how that's going to happen. Right. And I could see on his face that he was getting confidence I could do it too, but he didn't have any idea how I was going to go about it. <laughs> and and I really admired that in him. I And I was amazed at it. I don't know if I'd be that kind of brave if uh-huh. I were directing. But he's very smart as a director. And very the things that he has as a, as a comedian, uh-huh. as a writer, yeah. and as a person, he brings to the directing, right. which is that... He's very sensitive to who you are and what you're thinking, what you're going through. And he doesn't intrude on it. And and yet he's frank. Right. Very frank. He says, you know, if you do that like that, it's going to look like shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's honest. way better to hear than somebody going around the corner pretending he doesn't uh, really mind this terrible right. thing you're doing. Yeah, then he <laughs> goes around the corner and goes, what are we going to do with all this? How can we fire this guy? <laughs> we'll get in the paper if we <laughs> fire him. crazy. He's going to ruin the whole thing, this guy. Well, that's No, he's very, very, really one of the best. It's, it's one of the best, if not the best experience I think I can remember having acting. No it, kidding. Partly because, I mean... There's no doubt that MASH was an extraordinary time in my life. Right. It went on for 11 years, and, and and I learned a great deal. So that was wonderful. Right. This is wonderful because now I'm I'm at this age, yeah. and I'm still learning, and I'm still I'm still able to do things I couldn't do before. Right. Because you have hindsight. I've got experience. Yeah. yeah. And that makes me feel great. Yeah. I feel like a kid again when I can do something I never did before. You and know, it's it, like when you first learn to ride a bike, you feel like a grown-up. Yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and you're surprised you're up, and it's yeah, exciting. Yeah, and, and the wind's in your face, and yep. you've never had that experience before. And and it's like, it, it felt like a, a theater piece, didn't it? I mean, Yeah, more so and than I'm a, most at home on the stage. Yeah. So the idea that you start a, a scene or a, a, a clump of, of uh, scenes. Yeah. And you don't stop until you get to the end of that. Yeah. It's opening night. Right. You're in charge. Right. Nobody's going to cut your performance. Right. You you have final cut on yeah. the stage. Yeah. And he let night. that happen. And he lets it happen. And then and then at the end he says that that was, that was mostly good all the way through. Yeah. Let's try to get it better all the way through. But he lets you have the whole emotional arc yeah, of the piece. Yeah. And you you discover it moment by moment. That's beautiful. It's, it's not intellectualized. And Did you it, like working with Steve? Yeah, very much. I, I had always wanted to work with him. Oh, that's great. I really great. admire him. And, and Edie Falco. Is, oh, my God. She's so delicious as yeah. an actor. She, just, and that in that last episode, all in, she breaks your heart. Oh my God! Yeah, I, I mean you're a little scared for her. Yeah, you know? well, you're scared for everybody in that show. Yeah, you know, yeah. even people that are you know 
fundamentally unsympathetic like your character, but you do find sympathy for him somehow. You know, somebody said I saw when I opened up my Twitter account yeah. once, I saw somebody said that she liked Horace, be, Uncle, Uncle Pete, I mean, yeah. because he was raw and vulnerable. Right. And being on the inside of him yeah. while I shot it, I yeah. didn't know that, you, were that you could apply those words to him, that he was vulnerable. And then I remembered a couple of moments where he really was vulnerable. Yeah. But he, he expressed his vulnerability by lashing out and being as vicious as he could. Right. But it was out of vulnerability. And if I had known it was vulnerable at the time, you would, it, you it, would have changed, it would have changed how it came out. It would have been soft. Right, right. Well, I mean, that's, a, that's what makes it beautiful is it open to interpretation. You know, you can't, you know, you can't overthink it. What other people yeah, put what yeah. they're going to Yeah, see, I started in improvising. Well, that's it. well where were you born? Here? Uh, I was born in Manhattan uh, on 33rd Street and 3rd Avenue. Really? Yeah. What, was your, what, what kind of business was your dad in? He was in show business. He was a singer and a straight man in burlesque. Really? And I spent my first years standing in the wings, uh, from the age of about two and a half, standing that, in the wings. At the big variety houses here? <clears throat> or no, at the big theaters? Well, the, the, he was uh, in a company that toured the whole eastern seaboard. I, I remember being in Baltimore and Washington and up to uh, Toronto. We'd go by train. Yeah. And then we'd go to the hotel and then and we'd go to the theater and they'd rehearse. And yeah. I'd stand in the wings and watch the strippers and the chorus girls and the comics. I learned a lot from watching the comics. Like, who the were wings. the guys then? Phil Silvers, Hank really? Henry. Yeah. Really? They carried me on stage when I was three. <laughs> Phil Silvers did? Yeah. <laughs> did you do a bit? It was a schoolroom sketch. That, oh, and so they brought, they brought me out in a, a high chair. Right. I almost said wheelchair. Now they have to bring me out in a wheelchair. <laughs> well, soon. I not now, mm -hmm. but uh, it was, and and they the, their story about that was that I would ring the bell and I had a bell on my high chair and I would ring the bell yeah. and blot out their punchlines. Oh, really? Yeah. You didn't know you were doing it. Didn't know. Maybe I did. Uh huh. Were you the only kid? Was it? Was it just as far as I know, I was the only kid. One time, my father's partner in. Uh, in the comedy sketches was uh, Hank Henry and as a joke for Hank they he had a scene where he was drunk and trying to rob a safe yeah so the idea was he was too <laughs> drunk to really get to the safe very right carefully it was a pantomime sketch yeah. so they hid me in the safe right without telling him uh-huh so when he finally got the safe open they said now you step out and you say father I don't know why they thought that was funny. <laughs> Did it get a laugh? I have no idea. I don't remember. I, but then they said, they never could let up on me. Then they said, now go to the manager of the company and ask, tell him you want to get paid 10 cents for being in this sketch. <laughs> he had no sense of humor whatsoever for a comedy show manager. He said, what? Yeah. Get out of here, boy. You bother me. So he did, he, sung, he did singing too? He was a singer. He would stand on the side of the stage and sing in the opening number while the chorus girls paraded half naked. Half naked. Nobody paid any attention to my father. Yeah, and what? Because some of those guys, I think Hank Henry and certainly Phil Silvers, were you know went on to to create television in a way. Well, before that, they they got they were known in in movies. They uh -huh. had they had uh, a lot of uh, character parts in movies. Oh, both of them. And my father went on to be a big movie star. I don't know if you know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, he he uh, he played his first part was playing George Gershwin in the film biography of Gershwin. And, oh, really? Called Rhapsody in Blue, and he was he was known all over the world for that. No kidding. Yeah. What, did, what name did he go by? Robert Alda. Oh yeah, was and, that the original name? 
No, our, our, his name and my name are, are the same. Yeah. Alfonso D'Abruzzo. Oh, really? You're yeah. Italian? Yeah. Well, half Italian. My, uh-huh. my father's side is Italian. Did you grow up with that? <clears throat> well, I, I grew up thinking of myself mainly as Italian, although my mother was Irish. And was she in show business as well? She had won a beauty contest, but huh. she was uh, not in show business. Now, you're the only kid? Yeah, yeah. My father then remarried, and I had a half-brother. I think I knew him. Uh, yeah? Yeah, a yeah, little Anthony bit. Anthony Alda. Yeah, sorry about his passing. Yeah, thank yeah. you. He's a, he was a good guy. He, he ran, I knew uh, some people he knew in out in LA. Oh, I didn't know that. They're like Robert Zim, uh, Zimmerman and a couple of the friends. There was a crew out there that, you know, that kind of hung out that I met early on. Yeah, he was a drummer, right? Yeah, he, yeah, he yeah. could play a lot of instruments. Yeah, he was, yeah. He was uh, very talented. He, he could write, he could direct, he could act, he could play a couple of instruments. Yeah, I think I played with him once. Oh, yeah, what do you I, play? I play guitar. Oh. And I think I went over to Ron Zimmerman's house and, and played with him. Tony, he went by. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah. So, uh, so now, was you destined to be in show business? Yeah, I couldn't. I mean, standing in the wings watching. My, my father... Uh, did guys and dolls when i was a teenager he was uh he here in the city? yeah yeah and on, on broadway he yeah. created the part of sky masterson right right so i'd watch two shows a week and it was the same experience as when i was a kid watching the comics you know right you learn a great deal watching from the side of how you, know, the, you see the, the, i love that about show business that everything that goes on Backstage, yeah. like the, the effort that goes in, the people yeah. that are involved. Sometimes yeah, you, there's animals going exactly. in and out. Exactly. You yeah. can't see the, any of that. Right. You can't see how it's put together right. when you're in the audience. Yeah. In the audience, you get the illusion created. But when you're standing on the side in the wings, you watch the illusion being created. Right. And you re- you learn, because you know, I used to know those people on stage really well. Yeah. And I saw how they drew on themselves. I saw how they altered the rhythms as they spoke. Yeah. It was uh, it was a, a real education, and also you know having the experience of being your, your father's son off stage and knowing him as a man, and then see him inhabit a character yeah, that sings right. and dances. Right, that must be a, a tremendous kind of shift. Of it. you, you understood that, that there was a skill set involved early. Exactly. On, I right? mean, I, it wasn't that I saw my father doing this amazing thing. I saw how he did it. Right. I saw how he drew on himself to do it. Oh yeah, and the and the and I saw his mannerism sometimes that I didn't admire. Oh, the the, the and, bad I, ones? and I early on I thought I was superior to my father who had all this experience. <laughs> like what? I was a snotty what's a, kid. What's a mannerism ways. that you didn't admire? He used to put his hand on his uh, on his belt. Yeah, where his or on his kidneys or yeah, something. Yeah. I don't know where what part he was on the you side. Just rest of, it there. Where, where I'm putting my hand there. What would you call it? I, I, on on your hip. On your, sort of on your, not quite the hip. A little above the hip, almost by the, the stomach. Belly. Yeah. And it's like a way of holding your jacket in. Yeah, he, yeah. He'd make an entrance on the stage when he'd going to, when he'd going to announce something. Uh-huh. He'd start from upstage and he'd have his hand on his on his belly. For and he'd effect? Walk, yeah, yeah. It's like, here I come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'd walk down toward the audience. Uh-huh. You know? And I thought, that's so self-aggrandizing. What is he doing? But it was, probably <laughs> he was protecting himself against his own fear of coming out on stage. Right, but to me it was not genuine, and I really didn't like it. But there was a showmanship to burlesque. Hey, don't bother me with your opinions here. <laughs> <laughs> but wasn't there a showmanship to that? I mean, uh, exactly. There, what that's what he was doing, and it was I too broad for you. Yeah, I right. I got an early, uh, I guess I guess an aversion uh-huh. to the show business end of it. I wanted. I was really interested. I thought 
in something more genuine. It took me about 20 years to get close to genuine. Well, that's interesting because that wasn't really the mode then, was it? I mean, no, that, you're right, especially not from burlesque. Right. If that you know, you thought that like if you're going to be up there, why don't you have some uh, honesty about it? Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, that's I don't know why I got that uh because here I was exposed to all this other stuff, but yeah. what what really used to really get me interested and get me um engaged uh-huh. was to see them take off on a riff, uh-huh. to suddenly be inspired in that moment, and sometimes make up new dialogue. In the comedy bits? Yeah. yeah. But then when I was watching Guys and Dolls, and I watched this great actor, and my father played uh, opposite Sam Levine, mm-hmm. who I thought was a kind of a genius. He would do it completely differently every night, and yet he said the same words and stood in the same spot. But a different kind of music came out of him. Huh. And the laughs would come in different places. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? So you knew that you, there was... You, I, could, I just thrilled to this extemporaneous riff he uh-huh, could go off on uh-huh. and still still be disciplined, still keep it the same words. So he could mix it up. He could make it fresh. He just he, yeah. he went with it wherever yeah. it went. Right. He didn't deliberately mix it up. He didn't right. say, now I'm going to do it. Because you can hear that when an actor yeah. says, now I'm doing it differently. Right, right. It's, it's intellectualized. Right, right. Know? Yeah. And and when when you saw that stuff, when did you start to you know to integrate and and perform yourself? I never wanted to be anything else except I wanted to be a writer when I was eight. Yeah, and and always have wanted to write. What kind of writing? You see yourself as I a novelist? Still, uh, no, I write. Well, I've written five movies. Right, but you wanted to do mash. that early on, or you, you did? Yeah, you? I wanted to. I my father had a stack of. Uh, scripts from uh, yeah, burlesque yeah. right so right. i used to read the scripts and i wanted to write my own sketches did you try yeah when i was eight i wrote a, a courtroom sketch <laughs> did they do it no <laughs> but they were all proud of me for trying oh that's nice there and, were sketches in there i had no idea what they meant right right of course yeah, yeah they weren't supposed to it wasn't for you right yeah i mean i remember one i didn't i i, I remembered it because i couldn't figure out what it was about yeah a man gets out of bed and says, oh, my God, what a night. Another yeah. man gets out of the same bed and says, oh, my God, what a night. Another man gets, oh, my God. And finally, a woman gets out and says, oh, my God, what a night. <laughs> that was the whole bit. <laughs> that was the whole bit. <laughs> <laughs> and I wondered what it meant. And I said, the comics are coming over Sunday night to, yeah. to, to, to have fun and put on sketches. Can I do that sketch? And he said, no, that's a little raw for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You didn't know what it meant. I didn't you, know what it you meant. You knew you wanted to do it. But it had a nice yeah. rhythm, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when did you start uh, acting? Uh, well, when I was in school, I was acting. I wrote a musical comedy when I was uh, in, in high school. Yeah. And, and naturally, I acted in that. Sure. What and was that about? That was called Love's the Ticket, and it was about two college kids in France who've run out of money, and they decide the way to get home is to get two girls to fall in love with them and take them on the boat. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's not that sounds See, nice. See, that's not Mister Nice Guy. No, but uh, <laughs> but it, but it, it must have been a, uh, not that loaded, it, was it? I mean, was it? Uh, well, they they had to come clean finally, you know. Right, and disappoint the girls who I guess at that point said it's okay. We had a good time. We'll, we'll no, take the, it the girls said the the girls rebelled. They said, "What the hey?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. So you didn't get the boat. No boat? I think we wound up on the boat. Yeah. It, I, I, I love those musicals that took place on a boat. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. the second half of it was on a boat. <laughs> You're stuck there. Yeah. There's no getting off the you boat. You are stuck on a boat. I don't like boats. The worst. And the other thing is they're on the water. Yeah. The ocean Two is... Two negatives. Yeah. Yeah. 
It don't, the ocean is a very powerful, dangerous thing. Yeah, deep and scary, and I don't know what's under there. Yeah. I have a hard time in pools at night. Well, don't go into pools at night, for God's sake. Right? I mean, either you have that fear of water or you don't. I, I almost drowned in the ocean once. Oh, that'll, that'll do it. In an undertow situation? Yeah, it kept pulling me out and slamming me down. Right, the worst. Yeah. And Maybe. then at first I thought, this is fun. Then I yeah. thought, I'm going to die. <laughs> and that's Louis C.K.'s work. That's <laughs> See, there is a theme to this conversation. <laughs> yeah. He does, he has that. It's just... Yeah, how about Laurie Metcalf? On oh the show? my God! Is that one, uh, maybe the most amazing I've never seen performance like I've it. ever seen? Right, that's what I said. I said I've never seen a, a performance like this anywhere. Yeah, I, it's, it's yeah. the best thing I've ever seen in my life. Just gorgeous. Have you know? Have you met her before? And I never met her then because she. I wasn't. I wasn't on, on the, the set. I shot that. I shot, shot my part. part of it at yeah. another time because right. I had to go to Australia. Oh yeah, what did you do there? I have the well. I I have a I have I've started a center for communicating science. Yeah. As you may know, I'm really interested in. Well, no, I, I saw that, and you're doing this flame challenge. Yeah. With, every year we have the flame challenge, which is one of the one of the projects we have. Yeah. And what is and, that? And the flame challenge is where scientists um, answer a question that 11 year old kids have. Uh huh. This year it's what is sound. Oh so man. So they got to answer it in a short video or a short written piece. But the eleven-year-olds all over the world are the judges of, of the who, explanation. Who wins the best? Uh, uh, the scientist? Yeah. Oh, that's fun. The kids judge the scientist. What compelled you to, to to do this foundation? Twenty years ago, I started uh, helping scientists make their work clear to the rest of us yeah. by interviewing them on television. Right. We did Scientific American Frontiers for eleven years, and. It's it's be- it's a beautiful thing. It's really it's, it's exciting t- to hear what they're doing if you can understand it. Right. And I was relentless with them because I took my experience as an improviser and I just had a conversation with them and I wouldn't give up if I didn't understand it. It wasn't about tossing them softballs and sure, letting them sure. give me answers right. that they already had. Right. They had to make me understand it. Right, so you had so, to get to the nuances of things. Yeah, where, well, yeah, I had, to un- I had to get the vague idea right. first before we got to nuances. Right. And their expression changed when I did that. When I said, I don't, I don't get it, tell me again. Their expression I, changed to somebody who had to talk like a person? Yeah. <laughs> they had to relate to <laughs> yeah. me suddenly. Right, they weren't right. talking out into the right. ineffable blue to right. some unknown audience. They were talking to me. Right. And they had to read my face and see if I was getting it. Right, yeah. yeah. So the vocabulary changed. Yeah. The tone of voice changed. And suddenly they were, and they got a greater sense of humor. They were really, we were together. We were in it together. So I realized when the show was over, what if nobody's standing next to these guys? like me, pulling it out of them, making them relate. Is right. there any way to get them to relate to their audience? So they have that same intimate approach that they had with me when yeah. I pulled it out of them. Right. I got it from improvising. So how about if we teach them improvising? So that's what we do. We've now taught 7,000 scientists improvising, plus we teach them how to distill their message so they get to the point and make you know why you should care about it. Right. But it all comes from paying attention to what you're thinking, not to what I want to tell you. Right. I mean, while we were talking about this just now, yeah, I saw your eyes open up and I saw you lean forward. I saw I had made a connection with you. Yeah. Up until then, I saw I hadn't because I was still trying to find a way to get to you. 
Well, what I yeah, and also because like I I think I know the answer, and I'll spit that out, and then it's not the right exactly, answer, and then, yeah. and then yeah. you've got to like. And uh, also, and I and I came at it mechanically. I started telling you when I started doing this, instead of getting to the good stuff, yeah, you know, the, which is the, the alive stuff, yeah, yeah. The, where we were together. I was talking about being together yeah, with yeah, the yeah. scientists. There's such a difference between that connection and not having the connection, right? And sometimes when they're starting to work with a scientist, say, because they're busy, they have a lot on their dish, you know, sure. and they, they say, well, why, why am I doing this exercise? What's this, how's this going to lead to improv? How's this going to lead to uh, communicating science? Say, we say, stick with it, and we keep reminding them. What kind of improvising do you do with them? We used the, you know, Viola Spolin's work? No. Nope. She, she, about 75 years ago, she started uh, creating this kind of improvising that's very pure it's not comedy improvising uh-huh. and that the basis of it is to make a connection with the other person just what i've been describing yeah and your point of concentration is not on yourself not on how am i doing am i funny am i smart am right. i witty yeah but it's sharing the moment with the other person yeah and when that happens you lose these protective uh measures you take uh-huh to protect yourself against being watched while you're on the stage. And you get into this community with the other person. And the two of you make things happen. So this is what's at the core of your acting as well? It is. To me, it's all about relating. Now, like, where did you learn that? From improvising. Where did you start? It's the only studying of acting I ever did, except standing in the wings. Right, but you were in college, and you, you wrote your musical. Did you study theatrical in, in college? Where'd you go, no, college here? I went, I went to Fordham. Right up here, in yeah, the Bronx? Yeah, uh, in the Bronx. Yeah. And I went there partly because I thought they had a good theater department, but uh-huh. they canceled the theater department the year I went. <laughs> so what'd you end up studying? I studied uh, English, finally. Oh, yeah, that's what I did. And it's a good language. It is a fine language, and there's a lot of good work done in it. And the many good words in it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, some of them were really exciting and interesting and yeah. explained things. Wait, they're coming to get me. Can yeah. you hear that? Yeah, I can. There's a lot of action down the street. It's not the greatest room sound-wise. It's a nice view, yeah, but not the best room for sleeping. So after college, where did you do? Where, how did you start to pursue acting? Well, when I was 16, I was in between college and high school, I uh-huh. got a job as an apprentice in a summer stock company. So that was the first time I was... They, in, those, in that theater, they actually paid you $25 a week to be Where was it? Barnesville, Pennsylvania. And it was like Shakespeare? What they do? Just a, no, no, uh, no. Repertory? The movie stars would come through and old the, plays. Right, right. Who did you see? I was on the stage with Mae West. Really? Buster Keaton. Really? Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. And at the time, I didn't realize I was on, on stage with a genius. I just said, how does that guy do a backward flip and land in the seated position? And he must be 60 or 70 years old. Oh, he was, he was that old already. I think so. Well, I was 16. He right. seemed so older he had, than right, he right. was, probably. So he had no point of reference for him at the time. No, and then I later realized what a genius he is. And, did you re- and when he saw him do the, other than the back flip, was he pretty astounding? Oh, he was wonderful. He, he was a real master. Mm-hmm. He was an acrobat when he was a kid. Yeah, and they used to throw him around the stage. Right, he's got. I think he was one of those vaudeville kids that started yeah. out with a family of performers, and was yeah. uh, you know, thrown around on the stage. As so a child. I used to watch from him from yeah. the wings every yeah. every night at, uh, during the show. Uh, and Mae West, who was a kind West, of a comic she, genius. She was. She was again another brilliant woman, and we. Every night there was Alexis Smith and Victor Jory, two movie actors. Uh-huh. Came, came through doing Noel Coward's Private Lives. Right. And I stood behind the scenery every night 
and just listen to the music of Noel Coward's dialogue. Uh -huh. It's so brilliant. Yeah, I mean, yeah. To, to hear... To hear something so well written as that over and, and over again, so witty, witty. Yeah, and there was one exchange I'll never forget. That right, it's a married couple who are on vacation with other spouses. They're they're divorced, but they're on vacation with other people, and they meet on vacation and fall in love and have an affair again, even though they're divorced. So they're having breakfast, and he and she says. Uh, isn't uh, isn't this? Uh, aren't you a little worried? We're living in sin, and yeah. he says, "Well, we're not according to the Catholics. We're not living in sin. We've never been divorced." <laughs> and she says, "But darling, we're not Catholic." He says, "I know, but it's good to know they're backing us up." <laughs> <laughs> yes, very clever. That's a paraphrase, but yeah, it, yeah. but I love that the way it just bounces back and forth yeah, like yeah. a ping pong ball. Yeah, great know. comedy writing. Yeah. So so you're doing that. You do the apprenticeship. And you're, you're what, building sets and, and moving things around? Yeah, and, and then I played parts. I played a long part in Charlie's Aunt. Uh-huh. And, I, and I, I always had a lot of chutzpah. Right. I, always, I had raw talent and nerve. And that's nerve a, is really important. That'll carry you a long way. Yeah. But I, it took me a, I was a... I was afraid I'd lose my natural genius if I took lessons. I mean, I, was, <laughs> I had a little too much nerve. That's interesting because that's something you obviously carried over, carried over from childhood watching your dad. You had already made decisions yeah, already, about already, what authenticity was. Yeah, right, right. So, I mean, this was all, uh, I mean, I want to make clear that this was the wrong way to look at it. <laughs> you did all right. Well, but it, I, what I thought was my natural genius took, turned out to be obnoxious mannerisms that uh -huh. took me 20 years to get rid of. Oh, you know? yeah? Yeah. But I got rid of them by hook and by crook, mostly. So what'd you do after that? Where'd you go? I got, uh, I got, a, I got a job understudying uh, a leading part on a, in a Broadway show that opened and closed on my Christmas vacation from college. So I, I didn't miss any gig. school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then uh, when I got out of college, I was already in love with my wife, Arlene. Yeah. And we got married. She was a musician. She was playing clarinet in Houston. And I was in the Army for six months in uh, Georgia. So we got married in Houston. We had, I think we had $600 between us. You enlisted? No, I was in the ROTC. Okay. And then when we got, we went to New York, and I spent the next eight or nine years trying to get some kind of work. And I was all kinds of things when I couldn't work as an actor, as a doorman and cab driver, sold mutual funds, mostly to myself. Right. Just to show the boss. <laughs> I just couldn't it. resist the sales talk. <laughs> yeah. I'm so good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really good at this. I bought another bunch. <laughs> So I had, and little by little, I I got more jobs and got a little better at what I was doing. Yeah, where'd you learn the improvising? Uh, it, it, along the way, around in there, I I uh, I worked with Paul Sills, who ran Second City, and he he had a workshop. And Here? I did yeah, in, in in New York. You never went to Chicago? No, I did Second City a little bit here. I did Compass in uh, Hyannisport. Were they? Oh, they had a traveling troupe, the Compass. It, uh, it was uh, just a summer, a summer show we did in a cabaret in the basement of the hotel where John Kennedy gave his press conferences. And that was sort of improv-driven, wasn't it? That was totally improv. With all the sketches in the first hour of the show were derived through improvisation, but they were set sketches. Then I would take suggestions from the audience, and we had a 
during the intermission, we'd say, okay, let's take this. Let's do You play that character. Wear this hat. I'll do this. And we'd <laughs> do total spot improvs for the whole second act. Right. And it, that's that, that was with no training. That was just guts improvising. Well, that was what you were good at, you said. Well, I had nerve. Yeah. Yeah. So we'd, we'd, we'd mush our way through these sketches, but the whole purpose was to get laughs and get to a blackout that, that deserved right. the lights going out. You and know? the guy in the lighting board has to be sensitive to when that yeah, is. Yeah, or sometimes we just step off stage and throw the switch ourselves. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> We've had enough of this. And scene. <laughs> the guy just left to shut the lights off. Yeah. <laughs> but then after that, I, I, I took those real serious classes with, uh, about, you know, based on... The, Theater games, and I really recommend that to young actors now. With who? I think it's who'd you take with? With Paul Sills, and okay. sometimes with Viola Spolin. A couple mm-hmm. of times she came in. But you, somehow or another, you managed to uh, avoid the the more method driven. Uh, yeah, uh, that's why I make up my own method every time I act. <laughs> right? Were you? But were you off put by that? Uh, you know, like because no, was no, I admired I admired those yeah. actors. I thought Brando was brilliant. I, I over the years, I think I've seen. Some of the same mannerisms, same kinds of mannerisms among those people from that school that they were replacing when when their new kind of authenticity came in. Well, everybody becomes a collection of ticks eventually. Yeah, it's kind of it's I think it's one of our jobs to try not to. I think you're right. It's very interesting as some of those guys get older, you see that there is. There, there is something they fall back on physically. Yeah, I mean, if you look at movies for when that style of acting was most popular, yeah, and a woman, uh, an actress, uh, sees something that affects her, she puts her hand to her mouth, yeah, as if I'm about to cry. Right. I've almost never seen anybody do that in life. That's true. It, it's almost like what what they were replacing, which was the Del Sartre method where you hold your hands up to avoid some awful thing, you know, or right. put your hand on your head. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. can't take any more of this. You know? <laughs> and it's these gestures that are supposed to convey something. I mean, it's really interesting. I mean, it's how you act, how you can act believably for your generation. Yeah. Well, there's a couple a of guys. Strange question. Those really. method movies or at least the actors like Montgomery Cliff and James Dean and certainly Brando, they, they, they all seem to be sort of constantly squirming. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think that came out of a, a a decision to be aware of their own body, their own space, which was very successful yeah. in many ways. And and I said and a second ago, it just occurred to me to say to be uh, uh, believable to your generation. Yeah, your generation has just seen the past generations acting, and you have a new way of looking at things. And people will emerge who are convincing to you, but they may not be convincing to the next generation. Right, or even to the generation before them. Yeah. Look at these kids. Yeah, what they are they doing? They don't doing. know what they're doing. They can't even speak up. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. I can't understand that kid. Sometimes I have trouble understanding the other actor because they don't, they don't talk as loud when they're acting as they do when they're ordering pizza. I, it's weird, right? Yeah, I don't get it. I, I mean, like, like sometimes, some actors, I guess they know they're being mic'd, but on stage you would think they would project. Well, it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, I think, a feeling that if you on camera especially yeah. if you do nothing it's better than doing something do you believe that well i don't think in life you ever do nothing i think you're always trying to achieve something in ever. every moment all the time yeah. i mean uh, even if you're catatonic you're trying to avoid right. the pressure from the outside right there's, there's 
I mean, I'm probably now trying to impress you with my, <laughs> with my sense of art or something like I that. I like it, yeah. But I, I'm also trying to find the right way to find the words to do it. I'm, I'm, we're always trying active, to do something. Active, when you, when yeah. you're, I mean, there's all kinds of things. When you're ordering coffee in Starbucks, right? some part of you is just getting coffee. Some part of you is trying to find out something about the person behind the counter. Are you really paying attention to me? Did you hear what I said? Things yeah, like yeah, that. right. Things going on right. that are active. Yeah. And so if you if you just mumble, I'll have the latte. Yeah. N- not putting, not wanting anything. You're intentionally doing that to counteract something that I think it, in true. one way it sounds more real. Right. But in another way, it sounds lifeless. Right. And and that may be okay for 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 some audiences because it's like radio. You yeah. put you, your imagination puts the life in it sometimes. Yeah, people bring their own stuff to every role. You know that story about I think it was Eisenstein, the great uh, director in Russia. Yeah, he made a movie where he showed a man in a window. Yeah, this was the first example of editing a montage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Showed a man in the window looking at and and then you, he was looking down at the street. Then then the editor cut to. What he's looking at, a, a, ba- a baby in a baby carriage. Right. And he cut back to the guy looking. Cut back to violence happening in the street, a fist fight. Cut yeah. back to the guy. Cut back to a young couple kissing. Cut back to the guy. Right. Somebody watches the movie and is supposed to have said, what a brilliant actor. Yeah. How sensitively he reacted to each of those different scenes. <laughs> and it was the same shot. <laughs> Yeah, his expression never the, varied. So the great trick of uh, that, motion pictures. Yeah, and yeah. that's that theory is probably behind doing nothing because you I, know they'll save it in post. Well, it's it, doing nothing can be interpreted in so many ways by the audience, right? You know, just as like the guy in the window, but not in a live theater situation. I mean, you know, this is just no, no, film you, get, you, you, you need you need a little more energy in, on stage so anyway. You've been able to manage a you know a, a very prolific show business career as an actor being here on the East Coast. Yeah, I mean, what how did yeah. you how when did you start doing uh, the movies and, and bits of television? Well, while I was still in my 20s. Yeah? What were the first gigs? All little nothing parts that little by little grew. Actually, one of my first parts was a good part on the Bilko show with Phil Silvers, who had carried me on stage. Did he remember that? Yeah, he was very very, uh, avuncular with me. He Uh was very, very uh, kind. He was a real character, huh? He He was brilliant. I thought he was a really funny guy. Yeah. And... A very sensitive guy, and when he would open in a show, he'd get uh, he'd get laryngitis out of nerves. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any experience of that? Do you get nervous? I don't get nervous, but I lose my voice often. You do? Yeah. I get. I think it's partly because in the army, when I was twenty one, I uh, I got partly deaf in one ear. It's still from that the, way from the firing line. Really? And I, I never really heard my voice. Yeah, I yeah. Couldn't, I couldn't hear my own resonance. So right, I, right. I, I think I uh, didn't. You yell. No, I don't. I talk, I'd probably talk more softly than other people. Ah. So, all right, so you did Bilko, and yeah. you did some other little parts. Yeah, and then I got bigger and bigger parts on Broadway, and then yeah. I was, had my name over the title on Broadway, and then they people knew me, and then I started making movies. Yeah. And then I got I was in the Utah State Prison when I got offered Match. Well, what does Match. that mean? What do you mean you're in the Utah State Prison? <laughs> I was uh, making a movie in the Utah State Prison. What movie? It was called The... When was that? That was the glass house. Uh-huh. And we made it with inmates playing parts of, you know, 
being background people. And oh, that yeah? Kind of, yeah. Who directed and, that? A guy uh, who's no longer with us, and I can't remember his name right now. Yeah. But he kept telling the inmates, you know, if you want to escape, you ought to make all the hostage. He says, they're not going to stop you if you have an actor. Do you believe this? Yeah. So two guys made me a hostage. No. For real? Well, they held a razor to my throat, so I don't know how real. They, they then later, they said, we're getting out. You think we're kidding. We're getting out. And uh, they later said they were kidding, but... In the moment. The razor was real. <laughs> so that, that director got you. Yeah, we were right by the door to the outside. I think they were thinking, if this works, it's not a joke. If it doesn't work, it's a joke. They could slip out with the production. Yeah, and I don't think they got punished for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a movie set, right? So I went over to the, I went over to the director, and I just stared at him, and yeah. he said, I don't think the guard was in on it. <laughs> so you get masked. You're on the set? Yeah, I said I first told my wife from when I was in the, the in the prison. Yeah. I said this is a great script, but I, I can't do it because it has to be shot in California, and we live in New Jersey. So uh, I mean, I said this thing could run for a whole year, <laughs> ran eleven years. <laughs> so she called me back the next day. She said, "Look, if it's that good, maybe we can accommodate it with travel, work it out." Yeah. So I I. Uh, Whenever I had two days off, I'd fly home. Mm-hmm. Really? So yeah. is that much? Did they come out as well, your family? During the summer, they came out, and we were done shooting in January. So for a few months out of the year, I would fly. So after a, a year or two years, you didn't think, like, maybe we should get a place here? No. when the, Well, we got a place, but, right. but the kids were in school in New Jersey, and, and I, didn't didn't wanna, wanna... I didn't want to move them. They were just entering puberty, and yeah. it was their time to, go, to make their own world, not to be uh, transplanted. Well, that's you know? generous. Good well, parenting. Well, you, I mean, that, that as it turned out, I I went to the trouble of traveling, and they, and they thought, hey, he's never here. What is this? <laughs> you can't win. Because I'd get there. Can't win. I'd get there yeah. Saturday morning. Yeah. You know, right? And be and be groggy, mm-hmm. and I'd take a nap, and they'd say, okay, see you. We're going out now. Right. So you you, <laughs> you weren't there, and you're doing the right thing yeah, for them. Yeah, and but they, it worked out great. They it's, all turned out it's okay. It's now a family tradition to travel to be together. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. they're all it's over. Nice. Everybody sees it that way. How many kids you got? Three daughters and uh, eight grandchildren. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it you is. You love it? I love it. Uh, it's sweet. great. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyone? What about you? Are you married? No, I, I blew it twice. No, oh, kids. really? No, and nothing. Huh? No, no, I'm I'm special like that. I'm a special kind of asshole. You know, when you're 52 and you don't have children, somebody's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, well, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm okay, with but it. it's not too late. 52 is still young. That's what I hear, but I'm starting to think like, well, is that something I really need? Is something I need, I need to do? Well, Alan? if you don't think you need to do it, keep then, away from it. Yeah, that's what I'm you thinking. can destroy about 18 people. That's right. Yeah, yeah. repercussions for generations. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, my brother's has three kids. He did. He did what we needed to do. Yeah, leave yeah, it yeah. up to him. Yeah, let him do. Poor it. guy slaving yeah, yeah. away, traveling, yeah. flying Hard. on planes. Hard sounds hard the thing is i had a friend once who said yeah because i said i had made the mistake of saying you know i don't think you really know who you are until you have kids to show you who you are i heard that too so he said you know i want to have children he had never had children Uh so i want to have the experience he said i said wait a second it's not an experience it's a life sentence yeah right it's a responsibility (laughs) (laughs) but you enjoyed it oh god yeah it worked yeah. out. Yeah. I, I, I just am one of those people. I love babies. I love children. Yeah. And I, uh, it gives me a lot of pleasure to 
passing them on the street and look at them. Yeah, yeah. They're, I mean, it's a, it's it's a beautiful thing. I don't know. I never had that thing in my head where I had to have them. I think maybe I'm too selfish or I'm but too you nervous. Know that, so too it's so good that you didn't. Yeah. Because you then now you can spend your time doing what you want to do. And there are plenty of babies in the world. There's, yeah, there's no shortage of kids. <clears throat> I, we have um, a young couple who are relatives of ours, cousins, who are perfectly capable of having babies, but they've adopted two because they want to help some of the babies that uh, don't yeah. have anybody. My brother adopted three. Yeah, it's a beautiful Isn't that thing. Nice? That's yeah, yeah, great. It is. It's really something. So you're you're, you're swapping back and forth. You're doing mash, and it's 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 a, a, a huge hit. You're working with Larry Gelbart. Yeah. And uh, what was that relationship like? He was great. He was such good company. And yeah. Such a wit. I I often think about the wit he had because when he said something, yeah. He had never heard it before, and he would smile at it, too. But I thought, like all of us, he must have hundreds of lines going through his head, but he only says the one that's really good. Yeah, and he comes from that, that, that amazing writer's room of the you know, show of shows. And, like, oh, yeah, all, all brilliant people. Yeah, that, that must have been a big change for you. I mean, to go from New York show business to L.A. show business and see how that whole machine works and, and see how that all kind of transpires out there right i mean you'd never done that type of television before right uh no although i no i had i hadn't i i i hadn't i hadn't done a show as far as i uh, I, as far as i can remember i had never done a show where every day you go into work right and you work long hours and however the show turns out you got another one to do the following week Mm -hmm. that was a an unusual experience because I'd come from years of not knowing what my next job would be. And now for 11 years, I knew exactly what the job was. And we could, we all devoted ourselves to the job and to one another. When so, did you know that it would be picked up year after year? Was there a deal made after a certain amount of time where you just knew it would be no, renewed? At the end of the first year, we were successful enough that we knew we, were, we could keep going on right. for a long time. And, and And when you say that you didn't know where Hawkeye came from... You know, in retrospect, where did it come from? I, I was standing in the shed, in the aluminum shed on the compound. Yeah. Waiting for the first shot to take place. Where and was the, that shot? Out somewhere? In, uh, the, out, the exterior shots were in the mountains in Malibu. Right. Same place the movie was shot. Yeah. And I'm standing there in the shed by the door, and all I had to do is just a silent shot. I just have to walk across the compound. And I'm thinking, this is the first time I'm going to be Hawkeye. And I still, after 10 days of rehearsal, I still don't know who this guy is. Yeah. How am I going to do this? And I hear outside, quiet on the set. And I'm thinking, it's getting close. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then they hear, scene one, take one. And the clapper slaps. Yeah. Yeah. And the guy says, action. And I say, well, I got to go out that door now. And I open the door and I walk out on the compound and there's a nurse coming toward me. So I just reach out and grab her around the waist and pull her to me. Yeah. And she gives me a pat and she walks on. And I think, geez, that wasn't so hard. I'm Hawkeye. <laughs> <laughs> God, that was it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't supposed to grab her. I just reached out for her. That was that improv impulse. Yeah. Yeah. So I jumped into it. Some things you jump into. And some things you agonize over and, and sort of ooze into, and sometimes you agonize over and then jump into. And, and when you saw these scripts, as these scripts came out, when you had that Gelbart sort of timing, you know, yeah. that, and you were obviously the comedian. 
yeah of the whole uh enterprise there yeah and you're playing off of wayne and, and, and whoever but like uh did you like I, someone mentioned to me that 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 maybe you know groucho had some influence on you no you know Have just you as, heard that yeah just as a gag sometimes i would read some of the lines with a groucho rendering uh-huh and at one point as a as a as a joke on a joke, Larry wrote a whole episode that sounded like it was narrated by Groucho. Did, did anyone and, know and that? And I did Groucho. Oh, and and uh, and people said to Larry, "How'd you get Groucho to narrate that?" Episode? No kidding. <laughs> yeah, so I must have been okay with it. But I never. I'm not a fan of the of the Marx Brothers movies. Right. Yeah. They're, they're, they're too, for me, they're a little too silly, too slapstick. Yeah. yeah they, they don't. They don't quite make me but, laugh. But, but what about Groucho's wit in general? I loved him when he did the talks, right. the uh, yeah, quiz yeah. show. Sure. Sure. Well, what was it called? Uh, uh, you what? bet your you life bet was that it. Yeah. yeah. I thought. I thought that was really. He was really fun. Funny when he did that. Now in the shift in Mash, you know, because this is where, mm-hmm. like, how did that all happen? You know, you'd done what six or seven seasons before you started directing and. No, I think I started at the end of the first season. Oh, really? I think so. I wrote the first script at the end of the first season. So I don't know, maybe it was the second. I don't remember. Uh, was that and, exciting and for I you? Direct, yeah, and I, I loved it. I learned a lot. Yeah. And the first show was uh, a, a picnic scene. first show I directed was a picnic scene with about 80 people. Uh-huh. And I had several cameras, so I really leapt into it with both feet. Yeah, and it's nice to have a to be comfortable on a set and to, to know that you're supported by. Yeah, a and crew every, you and, know, uh, after yeah. a while, several of us took turns directing. Right, and wh- whoever was directing took it very seriously, and everybody else kept kidding around. So whoever was directing would <laughs> yeah. say, "All right, people." Yeah, yeah. You know, and then everybody was like, "Get out of here! Yeah, we know who you are. <laughs> yeah. Look at the big shot." <laughs> it was great fun. I wrote I wrote about twenty episodes of Mash, and I directed about thirty five. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, and I I really loved it. And how did you find that the writing experience? Because you were writing, you know, under Larry at one point, right? Yeah, for they, four years. And then he left the show eventually, or after four years. And did you what? What was the difference in when he was there to sort of show run, and 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 when you were able to do? Well, it all went. He was the last person to touch right. the script. Right. After he left, there were about eight people in a room, all pitching lines. Writers' and room. It, it, sometimes it lost its focus because of that. I thought, and sometimes it got too filled with puns. I used to complain about puns. I don't like puns. I'd, some puns are brilliant, I think. Some yeah. some I would call classic puns. If they take something that's in the language, that's yeah. an idiom, and twists it with meaning, right? then I think it's worth saying. And Larry could do that. And they'd say to me, well, Larry wrote puns. i say, yeah, but Larry wrote classic, great puns. Right. And just to say a word that sounds like another word... That isn't that's, that's not, not it not funny no it's got no depth to it yeah so but like when because i had found like just in my small experience with doing television that if you're not careful jokes will actually stifle the emotional flow oh no no question about it that's it, what it, they're supposed to do that's that's the subconscious intention that's interesting i never thought of it that way i guess joke. that's true tell me more about that 
Well, I think that it's just my analysis of myself is that, you know, when you're doing a joke, it's to deflect an emotional reaction from who you're talking to or yourself. Uh, you, you know, I mean, you can't put a lot of punch and power in a joke. And I thought it was just the experience of making you helpless with laughter that I was looking forward to. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow that relieves it. That's the indication that you've gotten away with it. Yeah. <laughs> That's what that means. Good. Now I don't have to deal with the real shit again. But there is something about the helplessness of laughter that I really think is interesting. Oh, no, it's a great relief. If two people can laugh together. They're open to one another. They're they're vulnerable to one another. Yeah. Victor Borga, the great Danish comedian, yeah. said, "Laughter is the shortest distance between two people." That's a beautiful way to put it. But I, I just know in writing because I know that some people have said that you, when you had more writing power in Mash, that it was able to get a little deeper. I don't know. Some people don't. They they there's like a myth on the internet that I made it more political and I made it serious more serious. It, Larry was the first one to write a show in which a guy died on the operating table. Yeah, he went for serious too. Right. Uh, in fact, the the guy who ran the network when he saw the show with the guy dying on the operating table said, "What is this? A situation tragedy?" Uh huh. So they 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 didn't they already didn't like some of the seriousness because we realized we were doing if we didn't show the bad effects of the war and just did a standard service comedy yeah we were in a way denying the the real experience of the people who had lived through that that trivializing time. it yeah, trivializing yeah, it absolutely. yeah and there, and there was more more of interest if you took it more seriously. So right. we had silly, stupid, farcical, buffo stuff that we yeah. did, but it always had an, or we tried to find an underpinning of, of the hard stuff. Yeah. But uh, I didn't, actually, I don't like to write political messages, and I don't like plays that have political right. messages. So I, I don't think I'm responsible for that. I think it's just what people assume. Yeah, because at the same time I was trying to get the help get the Equal Rights Amendment passed, so everybody assumed that I put that stuff in my. Oh, so, uh, so that writing. was a, a spin. A, a, was it a, a slag from the uh, opposing? Uh, it might have been partly that. Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure. Oh well, yeah. Well, it's nice that we can discredit it at the source. Yeah, that's good. My, <laughs> my, yeah. God, take this opportunity. And you wanted? Did you have? Did you win some Emmys? You won a bunch, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well. Well. Over the, years? Over the years, I've won seven Emmys. That's exciting. But I lost 33. <laughs> and an Oscar? You lost an Oscar? I lost an Oscar. I have a whole empty shelf at home. <laughs> That's where the Oscars go. Yeah. This would have been my Oscar right here. <laughs> well, you've certainly done some performances that obviously I think were Oscar-worthy. I mean, I think that this is what's interesting to me, getting back to the Louis casting and the idea of you. Is that post mash, you didn't you didn't not challenge yourself, and you didn't always play. No, I know, wrote parts for myself that were uh, people who were not admirable. Right. In which movie? Uh, one. The Four one, Seasons. But that I, mean, I tell you, even the Four Seasons, he was a schmuck. But that was Carol. You were Carol. With Carol Burnett, yeah. How great and was she? Oh, she's wonderful. Wonderful to work. Everybody in that company was wonderful to work with. We had three weeks of rehearsal, and I said, all we have to do during these three weeks is get to be friends because uh-huh. that'll show on camera. Uh huh. And did and it, it everybody did, right? immediately started telling personal stories about themselves. Uh-huh. It was it was so much fun to be together, and that's a very funny bunch. You know, a lot of New York guys there. 
in that cast, huh? Uh, Tony Roberts. Yeah, Tony Roberts and Jack, Jack Weston. Weston. It's interesting. I wrote a part for myself of a kind of annoying guy who who's always uh, controlling the conversation. Yeah, and, yeah. And uh, a, a critic interviewed me after he saw the movie. Yeah. And he said, uh, tell me about your uh, character. And I, I don't like to talk about characters that I play or that I write. Uh -huh. I, I like to keep it sort of yeah, yeah. In, in my head. Yeah, yeah. And he ended by saying, "You don't, you don't really get it, do you? You don't, you don't know All right, what so a you schmuck can. you are in this movie." And I thought, "What a <laughs> schmuck you are! You don't think I know? I wrote it that way. I didn't, I didn't contradict him, though." Oh, and Sandy Dennis was in it. She was wonderful. She's amazing. It? And okay, so, so you know, when I took the movie to China, yeah, I showed it to Chinese audiences. Yeah, and somebody came up to me and said, "How did you get that woman with no acting experience in the movie?" They oh, really? thought that Sandy Dennis was so believable that she was just somebody off the street. Really? Well, she kind of had that, huh? Yeah, she was. She was totally credible, and every every moment was believable. Is she a method person? What's I think she? so. Yes. I mean, that was an example of how well uh -huh. that can work. Yeah, and and also like in uh, like Crimes and Misdemeanors, which is I think is I, that's his best picture, best I think, movie. and one of the best pictures in ever, America ever. Yeah. Yeah, ever like the, I went through a period there where I couldn't shut up about it. I was like, you, you know, how is this not being heralded as one of the best movies ever made? It's a fucking. Well, some people say that, uh, but not enough, in my opinion, because I I think it's got everything. The serious story is a, a very unusual theme. Yeah, has and, a very and it's theme. everything that he was working towards. You know that that balance. Yeah, of comedy. The comedy. And the comedy is very human comedy. Yeah. It's not yep. sketch comedy, right? And it blends perfectly with the the dramatic story, and it's. It's a tantalizing story to yeah. me. To me, the basis of it is: if you do something really terrible, are you plagued by guilt the rest of your life, or is it possible to just shrug it off? Well, it's so funny with him because you know, being you know, just from reading his writing and sort of knowing that he read like the you know the Russian literature and, yeah. and you know and Dostoevsky and stuff, right. and that there's this like this horrible thing eating at you for life. It's like an answer to that. Yep, it is. It's it's pretty fascinating, and and working with him. How like because I've only talked to a few people, but I get the sense that he hires people that he knows can do the job. He's sort of a little hands off, huh? I guess. Well, he does. He, in those days, anyway, he never spoke. Right. I made three movies with him. You and I have now spoken more than we spoke in those three movies. What do you think that is? Do you think it's I a, think he's just uncomfortable talking to people, and 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 he doesn't like to see things over and over again. So he's made these two things the hallmark of his directing style. He if you shoot close-ups yeah you have to shoot the same movie three or four or five times right so he does everything in master shots right almost entirely uh-huh so he only has to see it once he doesn't you know you don't have to break it down right go back and do the shot again Interesting. If he once in a close-up when i was working with him if you wanted a close-up he'd call you and you'd say one line and go home right <laughs> you know usually you play the whole scene but he, then he doesn't like to talk to people so he doesn't uh doesn't give you maybe he gives more direction now. I might have changed. I haven't worked with him in a few years. You did a couple of pretty big movies. The Joe Tynan movie was a, a big movie. I remember seeing that yeah. when I was a kid. Yeah, I wrote that. You know. And that was a and that was a political character. Yeah, was a, but I wasn't uh, trying to make a political no, point. I get it that. was a personal it was story. It was a moral story. Yeah, well, it was about can you keep your head when you get big? Right. And you stay focused on things you, that matter to you. Was that something you were struggling with? I don't think so. I think I think it was something I was 
curious about wondering about curious by flesh it out yeah through fiction yeah i i don't think uh i don't know maybe it had came maybe unconsciously came a little bit from the fact that i had teenage daughters and i was away working a lot Uh and trying not to be drawn Uh too far away from them yeah yeah yeah. but i didn't i don't think i did that consciously oh yeah you know all of the stuff that we do writing and acting and uh-huh. I think probably even comedy too although I've never done stand up but I get the impression that in all of these endeavors we're trying to find some relationship with our unconscious that's workable mm-hmm. that's usable because in the unconscious that's where all the work is going on yeah you know brain scientists have told me there's what they call the default mode yeah where you don't think you're doing anything. You don't think you're focused on anything. Time is just drifting by. Right. You might be driving a car, or you right. might just be sitting staring out the window. Yeah. If you were in an MRI machine, a functional MRI machine, where they can watch what's happening in your brain right now, yeah. they'd see all kinds of activity during that default mode when you think nothing is happening. Yeah. That's when the machine in the background is churning out answers to questions and problems and sorting things out figuring out what's the best course to take. Yeah. And I think that when we sit down to write or we get ready to do a performance, we're getting in touch with that stuff in the background, letting the stuff come out, which is why I think improvisation was so important to me because it put me on a path to that. You not only get connected with the other person, you get connected to your own inspiration. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. That, I mean, I do all my comedy writing through talking it through on stage and waiting, it, waiting. It comes to you. Well, yeah, sometimes things are okay, they're funny enough, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, and I'm so thrilled by that moment where you say something new, and it becomes the punchline of the thing. And then it it becomes your act. That's right. But yeah. it comes out of the air. And, you know, you, you know, if people go, you wrote that, I'm like, it was delivered. Yeah, it was right. Delivered. You're like the lightning rod. Hey, right. I don't antenna. know where it came from. And some of them, like, I, I have no idea where they came from. Obviously, they came from my mind in that moment. See, that must be similar to what a uh, famous scientist said. Uh, I can't remember his name right now. He said, uh, uh, inspiration comes to the prepared mind. Yeah. Everything you did before that was setting things up probably in the back of your head, and then it comes from apparently out of the blue. Right. Well, that's well, that's like acting. It's like what you were saying. It's about improvising. Once you 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 find a certain comfort zone in the territory of the stage or whatever, whatever you're, and once you're no longer afraid, and that's where you live. Yeah. Then then that's the work. Right. Like if you go up there and say like I you know I'm not afraid of this, yeah. and I have an audience, something's going to happen. Right. You know. Right. Even even if it's not great, it'll be compelling. Yeah, and it all, to me, is comes from the fact that the whole process is associative. Yeah. I mean, we remember things by associating them with other things. Yeah. And I think we create things in the same way. Some, some new idea comes to us because it's got a hook on it that's attached to the hook of something else that might even seem unrelated, but oh, yeah, it's great in the back of the head, they yeah. are, the one pulls the other out. Yeah, it, that's, a, that's a creative process. Yeah. Right. That's why you just got to when you're writing, you got to put anything down because that'll make other stuff come out. Yeah. Well, that's what the the interesting thing is that Louis said about Horace and Pete is he had this idea and he says when he has ideas, he doesn't know whether or not they'll write. Yeah. Yeah. Like so you put them down. It's like, is it going to write? And he told me uh, he did. He wrote it like a written improvisation. Yeah, right. It it wasn't, uh, now here's my outline, now I'm going to write this scene, now I'm going to write that scene. That's how he does everything. 
He puts yeah. it down. Not a lot of, not a lot yeah. of going back. See, he's got he's got a really fertile mind. He's a brilliant guy. Yeah, I just yeah. loved watching him. I loved watching him act, write, direct. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting when you know somebody a long time, and if they get to a certain place in life where, like before Horace and Pete started, you know, when he was about to do it, he told me the whole thing. Like he was at my house, he did a little voiceover thing for my show, and he was so excited about it. But it was yeah. so secret, he couldn't yeah. talk to anybody. <laughs> yeah. And we talked for two hours. He's like, "You didn't record this, did you? You can't <laughs> can't tell anybody about this. No one knows about this." And he was so funny when he begged us not to tell anybody. It worked. I didn't tell my children, my grandchildren, he scared and, you. <laughs> and tell anybody. But then it was funny though, because a week later he was like, "God, we should have recorded that." How long have you been doing interviews? Since two thousand nine. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, I've talked to a lot of people. So do you like playing, like in the West Wing, you play like a Republican yeah, gunning for the presidency. Do you like doing that? I'm just trying to play people, you know, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and if I can play people, uh, you know, a wide range of people, that makes it more interesting. Instead of playing the same person. I don't, I don't, haven't consciously played the same person ever, although some you, people you, might you, think so. No, no, you're actually one of those people that I don't think does that. That they're, they, It's only because the expectation is drilled into their head from Hawkeye. Yeah, partly that. And partly I may have undermined myself by going on television in, in interviews as myself. Right. So people have some impression of me from that. Well, I, here's what I... I, I learned or, or, or what I got from watching you. And in The Aviator, too, you know, that guy's a heavy guy. That, yeah, he's, the heavy no, he's a bad guy. Yeah. And that's a, you know, and it, it seems to me like what you were saying before about finding these people within you is that, you know, you can make a few different decisions within your own sort of personality that completely change the emotional direction of who that character is. Like, you know, I still see Alan Alda, but I don't think of you as Alan Alda yeah. in any of those parts. Because of a tweak you do within yourself, because you're not you're not doing dialects, you're not. Yeah, and I don't wear a putty nose and things. That's right. Like, and wear wigs you know what I mean? Like no, but there's yeah. a, there's I, I skill really, of it. I do, I I really try to see how how different I can be without exterior changes. Oh, once in a while, I mess my hair up or something like. I wear a beard, you know, but not too much. But there are certain it's, actors. It's like it's like a a challenge to myself. Right, you know? right. It's just there's a minor like like Nicholson does that too where it's like you know it's Jack Nicholson but he just removes or adds something. Yeah. You know to the to the emotional dynamic. All I try to do it all comes from improvising. I try to discover something. It's what you described before about the line coming to you right. from out of the blue. Right. I just keep doing it until something in me uh, is behaving like this person Feels seems right. to be. What, Feels right. What, it's, it's how the person would be. But I don't decide to do it. I don't put it on uh -huh. if, I can, if I possibly can. Did I, you like saying fuck so much? Yeah, well, I, I say exciting, that in right? real life a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good word, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of like, you know, do you enjoy comedy better or do you just don't, you just do whatever it's going to come? Well, I I love making people laugh. You know, I, I, to, to help raise money for this, yeah. to the oldest Center for Communicating Science, right. I go out and talk yeah. for an enormous fee, and the whole fee goes to the center. Right. But it's like a one man show. Yeah. And I have, and there are as many laughs in it as I can find. Although I talk about something that's meaningful. Yeah. I I try to. Yeah. But. I love to make people laugh, but it's what we started talking about before. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm also interested in meaning. Yeah. 
So, I mean, that's why I never really got off on the Three Stooges. Yeah, I'm not a slapstick guy either. It needs to hit me a little bit. And I, I recognize there's a tremendous amount of skill in slapstick. Oh, yeah, definitely. When someone's a good physical comedian, it's astounding. I mean, like, I love Buster Keaton, yeah. and I love so much of uh, of uh, Chaplin. There's some guys that can do it really well. When Ben Stiller puts his mind to it, he can yeah, really do physical yeah, he's, comedy. He's, he's a very, very, he's a wonderful yeah. actor. He's got a lot of sides to him. I, I, I have a tremendous envy for people who are naturally physically funny. Like, you know, there's certain guys that can just stand there and yeah. be funny without doing nothing. yeah. And yeah. it's like it's a gift. It really is. Yeah, like Gleason. Yeah, you know, even what, like, what was he was like a genius. Yeah, he's just he 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 could just do flat out sketch comedy, and then act a part in a movie. Yeah, where he was a heavy right and totally believable. Right, it's rare moment to moment believable, mm-hmm. and there was no sense. You know, Milton Berle was a funny guy. Right, but when he played a serious part. Yeah. He put a mute on himself. Right. And you could see him muting his comedic his instinct. His impulse. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he wasn't the person he was trying to play. He was Milton Berle with a mute on. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And and Gleason didn't have that. Gleason could be the person. What do you, uh, what, what do you want to direct more movies and write no, more No, I don't movies? want to direct anymore. I didn't no. have a good time the last time I directed. Which was that? Uh, Betsy's Wedding. No good? I didn't enjoy it. Yeah, what happened? Yeah. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> or, or Studio I should, issue? I should, I, I should use that what uh, an, a young director used when he was asked about an actor he didn't like working with. They said, yeah. was he hard to work with? He said, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. But what about writing? <laughs> well, I write books now, and I write. Uh, I wrote a, a couple of plays about science. I wrote a, a reading for the stage about Einstein, and I wrote a play about Marie Curie, and, and I'm working on a book now. Oh yeah, about yeah. your life or a fiction? No, it's a it's it's about com- what I what I think I've learned communicating science, but uh-huh. n- how it applies to everybody. Yeah, this is like your mission right now. Yeah, I mean, I I love acting and writing, and I still do that. Yeah, you know, when I I felt so lucky to to meet with Louis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do Horace and Pete. Yeah, because that's like my ideal thing. Yes. Yeah. To, to have this chance to come in and do something hard and work with brilliant people. It was great. What, what, with, for an audience that gets it, that's yeah. what I've wanted all my life well, from the time I was a kid. Yeah. So I have that and I have this other thing where I really can be helpful to scientists and they're, they're flocking to us to, to, for us to help them. So it's, and also getting kids interested. Yeah, yeah. We, we uh, The other day I was online with kids from seven schools, uh-huh. and they were discussing the finalists in this Flame Challenge contest. Yeah, 11-year-olds. 11-year-olds, yeah, yeah. and they were talking with the intelligence of some of the people on some boards I've been on. Well, boards are not known for their intelligence. <laughs> That's why they're bored. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I said a pun. Yeah, you did. So, I, and you I blew right by me. I know, <laughs> thank God. I know you didn't flinch or anything. I didn't. So they, they, these kids were so smart, and they were actually they were talking about whether or not the entry, the writer of the entry, knew his audience or didn't know it. They were already thinking about how to communicate science, and they're eleven. That's great. It's a great thing. Yeah, it's something I missed out on. You know, I don't. You know, I take a lot of things for granted, and my curiosity doesn't tend that way. 
But you're curious. You wouldn't be a right. good oh, no, listener no, no, if you no. weren't curious. I'm very curious about human things. Human, yeah. you know, uh, So there's uh, a lot of science that's about human things. Yeah, I know. I know, but I don't want it to ruin the poetry. But then it I doesn't. Get, it's more poetic. I know. It's that's more, what people say. It's Look, you look at a daffodil. Yeah. It's pretty. Yeah. It's yellow. Right. There's a lot of stuff else about it. There's stuff crawling all over it. There's well, yeah, I, I know. I mean, I did a little. I, I can get into that rabbit hole and learn those things, and it makes me happy. I think I'm worried about the brain stuff more. That like, Yeah, well, that there's a whole world. Of, that's like a new frontier. Yeah, I don't know if it goes anywhere good, does it? Oh, sure. Okay. The more you know, the better, right? Are there things you don't want to know? No. If you don't mind knowing you're going to die, then there's nothing that should hold you back. No, you're right. You're right. Maybe it's just a matter of my of, of uh, discipline in terms of you know, managing my curiosity properly. Yeah. Well, you also the way it, the way things are communicated now, yeah. you have to go to a little trouble to learn the lingo. Yeah. And I'm trying to help fix that. There's, I, there's break, a move- crack the code. Yeah. There's yeah. a movement. Yeah. That I'm part of. That I'm very happy to see growing. That to so that. Scientists won't speak in code right. that only they understand. And not all of them understand one another's code, so it's not helpful to them. Right, right. So uh, if we can keep in mind what's happening in the mind of the person we're talking to, then, we, then we'll then we all share it. it. It belongs to all of us. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. I mean, you, you should be able to enjoy it. A daffodil all the way through. And your brain. Yeah, I think you're right. I think maybe I'm being willfully ignorant uh, just out of laziness. Well, somebody will excite something in you. Oh, no, I get, I get yeah, I can do that. I can get uh, excited about stuff. Yeah, in science. I'm going to try. No, don't try. It'll, 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 it'll come over you the same way the joke does when you're out there on stage. All right. Well, thanks for talking to me, Mr. Alton. I really, Alan. Come Alan. On. After all this time. I know. I mean, we've been in that bed already. Together. I know. <laughs> and it was unmade and you still laid in it. <laughs> Thank you, though. Thank you very much. Beautiful man, beautiful conversation. It was a real honor to talk to him, even though he gave me his cold. I, I forgave him. I wrote it out. He gave me his cold. I gave it to Sarah. We were all connected. After Alan left, I actually carried his cold with me for another few weeks. Go get my more later special if you'd like. It's there at WTFPod.com until uh, September 1st for $7.99. After that, it's going to be up on iTunes for a little more. Uh, there's a link on the, on the homepage as well as the merch section. Great, great, tired, made the drive. I think I'll play a little laid-back guitar, maybe. Hold on. Mm-hmm.